Before we jump into the message, though, and, and mention more about that, um, we are going to kick off a new series uh, next week. And we've gotten in the habit, uh, when I say we, I mean me, um, of doing a football series in January. I'm not sure why. And you, you, you might think that this would be the year to skip it. Um, <laughs> but I think... I think not. I think not. You, you, you might remember the first year we did was Wide Right. So if you were around, we did a series uh, um, about failure. And, uh, and last year was playing hurt. Uh, but this year, this year, uh, we're calling it Upon Further Review. <laughs> That's not a joke. That's not a joke. And that was named before uh, the head coach was fired. So... Um, <laughs> This, this will kick off next week. I'm pretty pumped about it. So uh, I hope, you, uh, hope you'll engage, whether you're here or online or, or some distance. That'd be great. Well, it's, it's the new year. It's uh, the first day of the year. In fact, the year is so new. Uh, we're only 10 and a half hours into the year. Uh, even you probably haven't messed it up yet. Um, you have a few more hours left in the year. Uh, there's... The, only, the last time this happened, that we had a first Sunday on the first day of the year was 2017. So it's been a while. The next time it will happen will be 2034, uh, which is, a, you know, that, that leap year makes us skip Sunday. It's, it's kind of weird. Uh, but today's pretty special. And I hope that as you consider uh, your life and your family and uh, where you've been and where you're headed, that today, the experience of communion, as you interact with some people milling about the room, as you came in, and uh, this is when communion begins, when you step out of your car in the parking lot. Uh, it's the nature of the church community. It, it begins in earnest when you come in and you see some people that maybe you haven't seen in a while, and you ask some questions. How was your holiday? What was it like with your family? You say, Happy New Year, and uh, exchange some smiles and and some greetings. Um, so today it's called brand new because the year is, is brand new. Like I said, only 10 hours old. There's, uh, if you do the math, it's 8,760 hours left in the year. And so um, there's a lot of ground to cover before we get to celebrate another brand new year. And so when I get into the Christmas season and think about the new year, um, I... I just like you, reflect, uh, because I like new. New is good. New feels fresh. New gives me a chance to start again. New allows me to consider what was and consider what might be. And in that little nexus of time, that little crossroads between old, looking back, and new, looking forward, um, it reminds me that I like new, and new is exciting, and new is often better, and Maybe you opened some new things over the last few weeks. Maybe you had some gifts that replaced something that was old. And, and, I, and I know we have these sayings too, like they don't make them like they used to and so on and so forth. When you get to be my age and older, you know, you look at the way things break down and you think, ah, oh, there's nothing like the good old days. And we have this pine for history, but the truth is new is not always, but it's usually better. And the reason it's better is because we figured a few things out. And that new could be something you have in your hands, an item. It could be the way you approach a relationship. It could be what you decided to give up. Or it could be what you decided to adopt. But new often puts us in a place where we are improving on what was 
and trying to be sure that we don't make the same mistakes again. Or trying to ensure that we don't mistake our way into the future. We've learned from those things and now we can take a different approach. But of course, for new to be better, we have to remember what was. And they're deeply connected. You can remember how the other thing was or how the other path was or the other habit, the other heart, the other life, the other relationship. And this prepares you for new. In fact, brand new wouldn't matter if you and I didn't remember. Remembering is key to it. And when we remember, well, our memories are a little bit tricky. Maybe you found this out to be true over Christmas. If you spent time with family or friends over Christmas, you probably talked about holidays in the past or maybe some family memories. We did the same. We had a whole crew in our house. Our two boys were in town, our daughter-in-law, our younger son's girlfriend. We had another family that visiting a niece and her family from Kentucky. Our house was full. It was jam-packed. And um, we, had, we shared memories about days gone by and previous holidays. And there was often this little tension when somebody described something that had happened maybe last year or 10 years ago. And somebody else in the room would say something like, well, that's not really quite how I remember it. And this feeling of memory begins to crop into the discussion. In fact, you find out that two people can be in one room and remember something incredibly different. There was this moment when Donna was in nursing school and uh, she was trying to stay up on her studies and you know, stay good with her skills. And one of the classes she was in was an IV class. And she came home and said, I, I need to practice my IV skills. <laughs> and she was looking for volunteers <laughs> among the other three people in the house, which included me and Carter, our youngest son, and Austin, our oldest son. And, and of course, me and Carter thought she was joking. That was preposterous. It was funny until she realized she was serious and Austin volunteered because he's weird like that. Uh, his mother is weird like that. And so they got set up on the counter and got ready to, to practice. Well, Donna got the needle out. And I, I've told the story before. Uh, but this story got repeated uh, at a Christmas dinner. It wasn't Christmas Day. It was at a dinner with the family. And we all shared our versions of the story. And they were vastly different. Donna uh, stuck the needle into Austin's arm and... Her first word was, oops. <laughs> and then she said, I, I missed. And about that time, Austin passed out. <laughs> Cold. And Carter and I both have, you know, fairly queasy stomachs. And Donna and Austin share stories about work and nurse life and where Carter and I leave the state. I mean, that's how far we go from these stories. Carter is there. Austin's passed out. Donna's got a, you know, she pulls the needle back out of his arm and I spring into action. I, I'm picking up Austin. I'm trying to decide, am I going to lay him on the ground? Am I going to, what, what is necessary? Am I going to revive him? Carter starts to cry. He thinks his brother is dead. Um, I'm not too sure he's not, but I'm not ready to go there just yet. And so anyway, all of this, of course, you can imagine a very tense moment, but we remembered this moment and uh, everybody's memory was, as I said, vastly different. So as you remember the year, my guess is your memories 
of 2022 uh, are from one single vantage point, from your vantage point. Uh, You remember what it felt like for you. Your feelings are intense. You remember what you saw. You have two sets of eyes, different than how somebody else saw. And as you remember the year, you probably remember some highlights and some failures. You remember some good days and some awful days. But I bet there are dozens of days that just included you engaging with other people near you with thoughtfulness and love and generosity and kindness and maybe a little bit of impatience and a few other things sprinkled in that you don't remember anything about at all. When we ponder what is coming and how we'll approach our relationships and our work and our finances and our hopes and our dreams, we remember. The reason we remember is because we want to be a better version of who we are. We remember the days when we fell short and we desperately want to remember how did we get there so that when we begin to look ahead and look forward, we understand what was and we consider what could be. This is important for you on this day because of reflections. I don't know, maybe you've given up resolutions, but my guess is, is you haven't given up reflecting. Maybe you've given up deciding that you know, you're going to have a lofty goal and fail sometime in January, maybe the first day of January, but you haven't given up the idea that you can love more fully or more completely or better, or that you can make a better choice the next time, or you can be a little wiser the next time the same thing happens. And those two ideas, remembering and looking forward, They are inextricably connected because you are able to have an imagination of what could be and you're also stuck with the memory of what was. Now, today as we celebrate communion, these two ideas, remembering and looking forward, are deeply connected to communion. In fact, we cannot have these elements or engage in communion without also doing both of those things. It's not just the first of the year, it's every time we do this meal. And when we engage in this sacrament of communion, we look back and we remember and we look forward and we imagine. And we do this because God has endowed us with the gifts of memory and the gifts of imagination. And he did so because he made you in his image. In fact, scriptures say we've been made just a little lower than the angels. And so, with this in mind, I stumbled upon a chapter in scripture that has got my imagination and captured my attention over the last several months. You can read the whole chapter if you want. It's, it's an interesting chapter and it's, uh, it's got all kinds of nuances to it that we could spend a lot of time on. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but... Uh, This little letter that Paul writes to a church that's a mess and really in trouble and really not doing well, he writes a couple letters of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Nestled in the middle of this chapter are a few verses about communion. And it's not the typical passage that you might read when you're thinking about communion, but he is talking about their history and their future, and he connects it to the sacrament of this meal. And so we remember and we look forward. Where have you been? 
And where are you headed? What's behind you? You remember it. And what's ahead of you? Because you stand at a moment of time today that allows you to consider both. And so as we consider what it means to remember and look forward, this is what we do. While our family was in town at dinner, we asked a few questions around the dinner table just so our conversation wouldn't meander to meaningless places. Uh, one of the first dinners we had together, we asked everyone at the table to remember a highlight of the last year, and it was powerful to hear them remember and consider. And then our last dinner that we had together later in the week, our house cleared out on this past Friday. Uh, the last dinner we had together, we asked a different question. What, what is something this year that you want to look forward to, that you, you have a goal, you have a, uh, something you want to accomplish, you have something you'd like to try, what is it? And understanding how they both were connected together for the same person was powerful to see. And we had also, in between, spent about six days living together. Some of us about 14 days, but all of us together for about six, seven days. And watching the intimacy and connection and community grow between the two answers to those questions was a beautiful thing to watch. The relationships deepen. And so this communion moment that we'll have today, make no mistake, it is not done in isolation. It's done in connection with the people that are a part of your family. And your family are those that are near you. And you know some of them, you don't know others. Some of them you know better than others. But we're all on this journey together. And so in the middle of 1 Corinthians 10 are just a few verses that will capture our attention today. And then in just a moment, we'll move about the room and we'll take communion together. And I'm glad that you spent your first day of the year with us. Here's what Paul writes in the middle of chapter 10. 1 Corinthians, he says this, is not the cup of what? This is what he calls the communion cup. This cup that we use to represent the cup that Jesus passed around the table. is one cup they shared. It's probably actually four different cups of Passover, but this particular cup of Passover was one cup that he had. And he passed around, everybody drank from it. We won't do that today. Uh, there's some things that we, even, we didn't even do before COVID. I remember hearing a pastor say, you know, our church was a one-cupper church until my brother uh, got tuberculosis, and uh, then we weren't anymore. And so theology bends to reality, doesn't it? And our theology bends to the truth that we can see one cup, use many, and yet be connected relationally. Paul calls it the cup of thanksgiving. That's the word he uses, for which we, what? Say it with me. This is what he says. And the word is a, it's an interesting word. It's the Greek word eulogia. And you might see some similarities to a few different English words that we have in our language. This is the Greek, this is the English transliteration, but it's where we get the word, well, what word comes to mind for you? That's right, eulogy. You know what happens at a eulogy, right? You stand up. And you speak of the dead. And you tell the stories of their life. Have you ever been at a funeral and you thought, I mean, you knew them really well. And you knew some things about them. And you thought, I bet they're not going to tell that story at his funeral or her funeral. Or maybe you went to that funeral out of social obligation. You didn't like them at all. 
we would never say this because we wouldn't speak ill of the dead. That's right. But you had those feelings and you thought, well, why don't they tell the truth about him or her? And the reason they don't, it's not just because of that phrase, don't speak ill of the dead. The reason they don't is because memory is slippery. And the things you remember are attached to your perspective and your emotions. And because they too have been made in the image of God. And the time for critique is over. And it's time to talk about the things that you, knowing them, that you would give thanks for. Which is why it's translated this from the original language into our English as thanksgiving. This is the word. And so we speak out loud the things in which we feel gratitude for, the things we are thankful for. And so my guess is if you are remembering the last year, there are some things that you are thankful for. And my guess is if we had the time, I could say, tell me a story this year that illustrates what you're grateful for, what you're thankful for, and you would tell me a story. Or if I said, I bet you could, if you wanted to, share what you're thankful for in a sentence. But I wonder if on this New Year's Day, 2023, if you could boil your gratitude down to a word, what that word would be. And I'll ask you to share it in a minute. I'll give you mine. As we gathered with our family uh, this, this holiday season, like I said, our house was full and it was chaotic and, and it was busy and we, we had so much to do and lots of meals to prepare. It felt like we were doing one of two things, emptying the dishwasher, loading the dishwasher, or cooking. Because there's 11 people that need to eat and they're all eating different things and you would have thought that at some point, you know, we would have just lost it on each other or something, you know, patience running thin. But for some reason that didn't happen and we were incredibly grateful. They all left on Friday and as they left, you would have thought that maybe it would have been just a little too quiet, but it really wasn't either too chaos, too chaotic while they were there, or too quiet when they left. Don and I were left with just this deep sense of gratitude for, well, the word for me at the moment would be family, our family, and what God has done and how he's at work. And we're all a mess, pretty big mess, but we're grateful for them. That would be the word that we would use to describe this thanksgiving and giving thanks for us over the last year. What would be the word that you would use to describe it? How God has been active and alive in your life and you've seen him function. You could say a word out loud. I'll repeat it because the online people won't be able to hear it. I bet they'll want to know. If you're online in the chat room, you could even, even type it out. Do you have a word you'd like to share? Peace. Peace. Grateful. Relationships. Relationships. Vision. Vision. Yeah. Mercy. Mercy. Fun. Fun. That's good. Fulfilling. It's good. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah. Caitlin. Yes. Thankfulness. Good, Caitlin. What else? Help. Help. Health. Health. That too. Very good. Joy. 
salvation. Guidance. Guidance. How many of you would say healing? Let me see your hands. Very good. How many of you would add family to your list? Let me see your hands. How many of you would add direction and guidance that was mentioned? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Forgiveness and grace and mercy. Let me see your hands. Very good. Vince? Hopefulness. Hopefulness? Yeah. Love. Love. Hmm? Moving. Moving. Life-changing. Very good. I love it. And so the thankfulness that you have and the words you've shared behind each one is a story and a memory and emotions and connections and relationships that goes with every one of those words. And it requires this remembering that enables you to look back to a date, a season, an event, an occasion, a relationship, a change, a transition where God was present and active and he walked with you through something and you had your eyes on him and your attention was not inward, selfishly focused. And in that moment, that day, or maybe for some of us, a whole chunk of the year, we were able to see the hand of God guiding us, leading us. It doesn't mean it was easy, right? It doesn't mean that you didn't struggle. It doesn't mean that you weren't depressed or anxious or fearful. What it meant was is you knew that God was with you. And you look back now with your memory, remembering that God was present and that he was with you. And so that's, that's what he says. It's the cup of thanksgiving. And in a little bit, you'll partake in that same cup that he describes. And he also says, cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, it is a participation in the blood of Christ. It's an interesting word. It's a little clinical. And it's really not the best English translation probably. But who am I to question the scholars that translated scripture? But thankfully we can look back in the original language and see that the word that is inserted here when Paul wrote it out, either his hand or someone else helping him along, was this word, koinonia. And maybe you're familiar with the word. But it is a word that in some translations of scripture, isn't translated something as clinical or uh, as dry as participation. You know, you got a participation trophy. What does that mean? You showed up. It's the least you can do. That's not the heart behind the word. Some translations translate it literally communion, what we're doing today. That there is a, an intimacy that is described here. There is a connection and a relationship that is far beyond acquaintance. It is deep and personal and interconnected. It, it, it describes and applies to the people that you are journeying with. So when you share stories about God's goodness and how he has met you in places where you weren't sure what was up and now he's leading or you were questioning and doubts turned into ah, maybe just a, a sign of faith of ultimately surrendering to God, when you hear those stories from each other and you're connected to the people in your family or small group or people that you know well, then you are connecting with, communioning with, you're giving thanks with those who are also connected to the blood of Christ. And so somebody else says the word hope and I think about the things I hoped in this year. Somebody else describes the trials that they experienced and I remember those things that I experienced as well. It means that we are connected and we're connected beyond what you can touch and see and feel. 
that my story is the same as your story. And that means that we're walking together. Then he goes on to say this. And it's not the bread that we break, a participation, same word, communion, koinonia, a connection with the body of Christ. And then he says this, because there is one loaf, even though who we are are many, we are one body, and we all share one loaf. This is the beauty of the communion meal. Now, what's interesting about this chapter, if you go back and read it and and dig into the whole chapter, you'll see that it's just this little section that's about communion. The first part of the chapter is about Israel's wanderings in the desert and the idolatry. In fact, it's it's powerful what Paul says, that, that a lot of them found ways to go astray. I'm guessing that describes your 2022. In fact, I can come up with creative ways to get my own way or go my own way that take me away from God and away from what he wants for me. And so the children of Israel experienced the very same thing. And in that context, Paul is describing the lessons of their wanderings are there as examples for us. Now, I don't know that we would call it idolatry, when we think about idolatry, if you're a Bible student, you think about, I don't know, some golden object that we've set up and decided to worship. I've never done that. But what Paul is describing is these little ways that things, people, agendas, wants, desires creep in to our life and just nudge God a little bit out of the way. Idolatry sounds like one of the most grievous sins that you could commit, but the truth is every sin that we engage in is some form of idolatry. And so when we take communion, we reflect and we remember the moment where we decided our way mattered more than your way, where I was going to set aside love for urgency. And then we say, God, have your way with me. And we choose to love instead of want what we want. When we remember, we also look forward. And so the verse that has been on the screen as Josh led us in worship today is this one. Jesus says as he's instituting these sacraments, he says this. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Some translations say, until the kingdom comes. Now, when you read that, in those translations, you might be confused and think, didn't Jesus announce the coming of the kingdom? And he did, of course he did. But there is a moment between remembering and looking forward. We live in this arrow. We live in this place where we know that things aren't as they were, but they aren't as they will be either The kingdom has come for sure. We can taste the goodness of God, experience his grace and mercy. We have hope. We have forgiveness. We live in his grace. But we look forward to a time when the kingdom has come fully. And so in this arrow, then, we remember and look forward and we reflect. So in just a moment, you'll be near some people that shared a word, either audibly or in their own heart, about their own stories this year. And you're being invited into a moment of communion. And that moment of communion, that moment of koinonia, 
is one in which you identify your story with everyone else's story in this room. And even not in this room, as our church is ever since the days of the intensity of COVID, a dispersed church. We, are have, we have people who were here on, on Christmas Eve that hadn't been here in two and a half years that have connected to us and stayed connected through this power of technology that God has blessed us with. And so the communion that they share in their living room is connected to this, and only God can do that. So I'm going to ask our folks to get ready, and Josh is going to come back up and lead us in one more song after our communion is done. When Jesus was with his friends the night before he was betrayed and killed, he established the sacrament of communion through the simplicity and through the beauty and through the power of this simple meal. And when he did, he held up the bread and he said, this is my body and it is broken for you. And he tore it and they passed it around. And he said, each of you, take it and eat. And they did. The beauty of that moment would have been contrasted by the brutality of the crucifixion when they would the next day see his body torn and beaten and broken. And they would have remembered. And then Jesus held up a cup of Passover. It contained the fruit of the vine. In that moment, he said, this blood represents, this cup represents my blood. It is the new covenant. A new agreement between you and God. And he said, take it and drink it, all of you. And they did. They passed it around. And then Jesus gave a simple command representing the elements of this sacramental moment. And he said, when you do this, do it to remember me. And then he gave us the hope of looking forward when he said, and I tell you, I will not do this again. I will not share in this meal again until I do it with you when the kingdom has come in full. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And today we drink in physical elements so that you can be reminded that the psalmist said that you are to taste and see that God is good. And God has given you the ability to ingest and to taste, to smell, and to feel. These senses he's given you allow you to experience his grace and mercy in powerful ways. And so today you'll take a piece of bread and it'll go into your mouth. Maybe the same mouth that participated in gluttony over the last week. Maybe the same mouth that spoke words that weren't kind or patient to a family member over Christmas. And you'll be reminded that God made that mouth and he made your ability to taste and feel and experience. And by his mercy and grace, you receive these elements because of his love for you. So Lord, right now, as we take communion together, here in this place and in homes, we recognize that your mercy is far deeper, far wider, higher than we could ever ask or dream or imagine. 
we recognize that we are enveloped in your love that is unconditional and perfect. We recognize that there is nothing we can bring to this table that would make you love us more, accept us more fully, that we are yours and that we belong to you. Lord, we also recognize as we mill about this room in just a moment that you are with each of us and those that we know and those we don't know in this place and that we, like them, have been made in your image, that we carry that image into every interaction that we have. And so today, on this first day of the year, we remember. And as we remember, we look forward. And as we do both of those, we live in the precious sacredness of this moment alone. And we pray that you would meet us here. So open the eyes of our heart. Help us to be aware of your presence. And may we be overwhelmed by the depth of your love. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together and we say, amen.